Hey, it's Pastor. I am so excited you could join us uh, as we hear and listen to the Word of God. And I'm always hoping and praying that He's going to specifically guide your life and give you the hope and the peace that you cannot give to yourself. He is the power every time He promises to work through this Word. If He has worked in your life, we want to hear about it. Please email us, let us in, encourage us uh, by emailing office.amazinglove at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry, make messages like this ongoing, uh, go to our giving tab online or download the app. Go to the app store and search Amazing Love Luther. But now, may you continue to grasp how wide, high, and deep and long is the love of Christ in this for you. Thank you. Good to see everyone. Good to see everyone. Um, I wanted to tell you that we are searching in the Bloomer household for a new primary care physician. And that search is uh, kind of intimidating uh, because you're going to find someone who's going to deal with you in their darkest, deepest moments, right? And so we did our research, and we found someone who is not only a doctor, but also a lawyer at the same time. We're like, if you can do that, you can deal with us. So, so we did our research and, and, and good reviews online, but then the all-important moment came of actually meeting the dude. We came in the room. And he read us well. He had a great bedside manner. And then as we were talking, I learned that his daughter goes to the University of Texas in Austin. And so I found a fellow Longhorns fan, Hook'em Horns, and the rest is, as they say, history. Because we got to talk and commiserate over the bad football program right now. And they, how do they just swing it around? We talked about the glory days of Colt McCoy and how he's not getting a fair shake with Grudem and the Redskins. And, and there's just something about when, when they connect with you on that level, Hook'em Horns. We found a good primary doctor. The reason I tell you this story is because I have a point. I think there is tremendous power in a person who gets it. You know what I'm saying? And you might be saying, Get, gets what? Well, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, maybe for you it's uh, your allegiance to the Blackhawks. I know there's a lot of heck, hockey fans. Uh, or uh, Cubs or Sox allegiance, I'm not sure. Maybe for you it's, it's just that a period of raising the kids and, and you're united in, in raising the kids at this stage of life. For you it could be a restaurant, it could be, uh, again, a sports activity like baseball, you're getting together, um, and there's just something amazing in someone who, who shares your world frame. In fact, there's this quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis was known of saying, a friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what, you two? You like donuts? Come on in. All right. Well, to take the discussion further, there has been made a case for the difference between sympathy and empathy. I was listening to this Dr. Brene Brown at a presentation called the Global Leadership Summit, and she's wrote, written a book that, that is similar to this quote. Uh, the book title was this, I thought it was just me, but it isn't, right? And, and so I wanted to share with you a little a bit of the difference that she promoted. It's a video of, of sympathy versus empathy. So, so here it is. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. 
And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling rarely if ever does an empathic response begin with at least I had a yeah and we do it all the time because you know what someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it I don't think that's a verb but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now, I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. powerful difference, right? Empathy, this ability to go down into someone's pit and share the same emotion based on a similar experience you've had at one time or another. Empathy, this idea that, that I not only get it, but I'll enter in with you and, and try to help you just by how we relate. And if you've ever been empathetic with someone, it can be a very powerful connection. But I want to transition with empathy among people and talk about a connection to God. Because I don't know why you came, but we're really here to connect with God. And what you need to know about God is he is the master relator. He relates on a level that, that other people try to get to but never can. And, and what you need to know about this God is that he doesn't have sympathy for you. He's not looking down from this, this place in the sky, but rather he entered in, didn't he? This is the message of Christmas. When the king of kings comes down as a lowly baby, and why? So, so someday when you are walking along, he could say, you know what, I get it. I'm there. Now, and I need to share a little bit of doctrine uh, to inform this discussion. Uh, first, what we know about God is that he is completely divine. He is 100% God. Uh, we know that um, from what it says in Colossians. It says the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So he is completely God. He needed to be God. He needed to be God to be perfect in our place. He needed to be God to rise from the dead. But what he also is gloriously is human. And this for you, out of love for you, he knows what it's like to walk in our moccasins and to feel what we feel. This is our God. In fact, he was born of Mary. He's called the son of David. He's called the son of man. He has human ancestry. He got exhausted. He got tired. He got hungry. He got thirsty. We'll talk about that. Uh, he had all these experiences just like we had so that he could say to you, I'm in your pit. I know what it feels like, and I'm also here. 
You know, we saw that in the first lesson. In Hebrews, it said, we do not have a high priest Jesus who is unable to empathize with our weakness. It's funny. I was looking at the NIV 84, a different translation, and they used to use the word sympathize. But I think the new translator, he, he must have, you know, been under the tutelage of Brene Brown. Uh, he uses it rightly or she uses it rightly and says, no, no, this is empathy. This is someone who gets it. And I don't know what you know about God, but what you need to hear today is that when you come to him, when you pray to him, you don't have to explain the implications of a hard work day. You don't. Jesus was a carpenter working with wood. I was at the Art Institute with my brother-in-law, and he knows more about wood than I do. And he says the more you work with it, the more it has a tendency to warp. The more you take away from it, the, the harder it gets to work with. And, and so Jesus, uh, as a carpenter, he would have known the hard, exhausting nature of work. Jesus knows emotional distress, doesn't he? I mean, consider his life. He, he is, again, uh, in a family that doesn't believe he is the Messiah. None of, none of his family believes he's the Messiah except for Mary. Um, and, and then he's, he's walking with these disciples, and at the same time, he's the master teacher who often frustrates his disciples, and they don't understand. So he's at the same time the master teacher, but his students cannot understand. That, that's... I don't know if anyone's been in physical pain. But if you've ever been there, if you've ever been in the hospital, if you've ever had your own pain to deal with, you need to see Jesus during this time. He's on the cross. And he's on the cross for us. And the person who bore the cross for us also knows what it's like, whatever physical pain you're in, there is glorious hope in his humanity for us. But that's what we want to discuss today. And so uh, welcome again to our series. Uh, we're in this series called Words of Life from a Dying Man. And as Jesus hangs from the cross, he's already said some incredible things. Last week, if you were with us, you can catch up online. Uh, we talked about how it is finished and, and how we know how it ends. We know we're going to be in heaven with the Lord. And that future reality gives us purpose in the present. That future reality speaks peace to our present. That it is finished. We are saved. But today, let's get into more of what... I am thirsty is all about. Let's read from John. Um, as, as you can follow along, either in your worship folder, uh, John is the disciple who is there at the cross when all the other disciples fled. Uh, he's standing with a group of women that we talked about one other week, and, and, and this is what he records. He said, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. I am thirsty is the identification of Jesus' humanity. He knows what, it, again, it is like to be thirsty, to have those needs, which for me means that if we went to Portillo's after the service, Jesus would know the, the glorious reality of a dipped beef sandwich with hot peppers. That's the Jesus we follow. He, he'd know the glorious reality of your favorite food of your walk here on earth, because he's the man who said, I thirst. And as we begin this discussion, could you turn to someone next to you and just say, don't worry, your thirst will be quenched. Just turn to the person, don't worry, your thirst will be quenched. Your thirst will be quenched. Because God is here, and God works through his word. I have a brother-in-law who is a physical trainer, and uh, I follow him to see what is happening in his classes. On Facebook, I sometimes get his posts. And I got a kick out of one Facebook post that included him, the personal trainer. His name is Don Weston. And look what one of the classmates posted. Uh, Nancy Depp said, I have now a very clear understanding of Coach Don Weston's SAPEX training. He kicked my butt and rearranged my hairdo. Woo! And I love this hashtag, and I pay for this, right? 
I entered into Don Weston's world. I was uh, a couple months back in Florida, and I'm like, I want to enter your world. I get on your level, and so can we have a training session? The next 20 minutes were a hot mess. I mean, it was sweaty. It was ugly. I thought I was going to die at one point. Um, it was interesting because after the workout, I went to the lobby, and there was this girl uh, who said, um, I enjoyed watching you get tortured today. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Does anyone know what I'm talking about working with a uh, personal trainer? Anyone been there? How, how about a physical therapist or a physical terrorist? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and the interesting thing in both of these regards is that it looks like it is something being done to you, right? It looks like some cruel fate, you know, went down wrong, and now you have to endure this painful activity. When the reality is, it's not something done to you. It's something you signed up for. It's something that, for whatever reason, you chose to do. Maybe you won't choose to do it again, but you did for one, one segment. When we look at Jesus, it would be easy for us to say, and for everyone else in the crowd to say, look at what is being done to him. Poor Jesus. Poor Jesus that he was betrayed. Poor Jesus that he was denied. Poor Jesus that he is deserted. Oh, man, it sure is going unlucky for him. But do you know, he is not doing this purposelessness in a purposeless way. I can't speak. He is all the while doing it with determined intentionality. He is all the while choosing to do this on our behalf. It is not something being done to him, but it is something that he chose to do very calculated. In fact, we see this through this verse. It says, later knowing that everything had now been finished, because there was work to do, he knew there was something he was accomplishing. And so scripture would be fulfilled. That's why we have the word we have today. Because even when he said, I am thirsty, he was calculating a move here. It was not something that was just out of the sorts. It was not something that was being done to him. He was all the while having purpose in the midst of his pain. In fact, the scripture that was fulfilled uh, comes from Psalm 22. Uh, Psalm 22, which is a, a marvelous uh, picture of Jesus on the cross, years before this would ever happen, uh, said, My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Jesus, as he's saying, I am thirsty, is fulfilling this. And it's so good that he was calculated. It was so good that he did this because... I needed him to do it. I needed him to do it because I am a sinful dude. I needed him for, to, to pay the, 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 the price that, that, that needed to be paid on, on my behalf, and yet he does it here. And how glorious it is that, that he would calculate it and do this. So when we look at, at, at his life, he has tremendous purpose in his pain. And now as we look to our own life, I think what it means is that there is tremendous purpose in our pain. So if there was purpose in his pain, if he could take that, that moment and, and make something of it, I believe there's purpose in, in our pain, friends. You know, to begin that discussion, I wanted to refer to a, a lady named Bethany Hamilton. I don't know if you've ever heard her. Uh, there was a movie that came out called Soul Surfer, all about her story. In 2003, she was surfing in Hawaii, and a tiger shark attacked, and she lost her left arm. Um, it was only a month later that she got back on the surfboard, um, and she is world-renowned for being a women's surfer. The movie pointed out this phrase that, that as she looks back at what happened to her, she said this. She said, I, I wouldn't change what happened to me because then I wouldn't have this, cha this chance in front of all of you to embrace more people than I ever could have with two arms. 
So she is saying, okay, what happened to me was bad, but, but now I have an incredible opportunity. I have an incredible audience, much broader than I ever could have had if this didn't happen. I've been watching other Christians this past year, and Christians who I've heard go through awful things. And, and the common experience I have as I listen to their awful stories is while they didn't want it to happen, they wouldn't change it because of what God did in it. I've been listening to people like Beth Meyer, or uh, um, Beth Moore and, and Christine Kane and Joyce Meyer, and, and all these people had awful parts of their story, and yet they also said, but I wouldn't change what happened because of what God did. It reminds me of Joseph. I don't know if you remember Joseph's story. Joseph, who in the Bible was sold by his brothers. Joseph, who went to prison even though he did nothing wrong. And, and then at the end of his life, he said, you intended this pain to harm me, but I want you to know what God did. God intended it for good, for the salvation of many people. Because God was using him. Now, about our own pain. I understand you might not ever get to the level where you look back and like, man, I'm glad that happened. I get that. Some, some pain is too bitter. But I do want you to know your pain was not wasted. God doesn't waste pain. In fact, sometimes his greatest purposes are a result of the pain that we experience, in spite of the pain we experience. See, there's this promise. It says, Romans 8.28, I know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And this is for you. So I don't know your story today. I don't know what pain is pressuring in on your life right now, but I want you to know that even if you don't know, God uses it for a purpose. God can make something good out of it. And that is hope and reality for us. But as Jesus says, I am thirsty, I, I guess the next question we have to ask is, well, what is he going to drink? And let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about what Jesus is actually drinking. Um, it's interesting that Jesus was offered something else to drink before. I was doing some research, and, and Mark recounts um, how he was offered wine mixed with myrrh. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. Now, this is different than the wine vinegar that he has now. And I was doing some research, and myrrh was actually a narcotic. So giving this wine mixture with myrrh was this, this uh, Advil prescription, basically. Was, was this uh, painkiller, basically. And, and some commentators said uh, crucifixion was so brutal that the soldiers would give this mix so that they wouldn't have to hear the crucified screaming. It's kind of eerie, right? But it was there as a narcotic um, to, again, dull the pain. When Jesus doesn't take this um, drink, it means that he was willing to pay the full price. It's willing that he's not going to dull anything as he bears the weight of our sin. As he now moves to the wine vinegar, um, wine vinegar was just a, a poor man's wine. Um, so it was the three-buck chuck, it was the box wine, it was the Boone's Farm, right? But, but more significant than what he literally had to drink was the metaphorical drink he was taking in. Because the metaphorical drink he was taking in uh, was pictured in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden he said, Lord, take this cup from me. And what cup he was referencing was not wine mixed with myrrh and not wine mixed with vinegar. No, the full cup he's drinking in these moments that we need to understand is he's drinking the cup of God's wrath. Commentators uh, refer to it this way. Uh, Stephen Furtick said this, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath to the dregs so we would never have to taste it. I never hear dregs used but, except for like Good Friday. That's why I bring it up. It kind of sticks with me. He drank it down to the dregs, which means he drank even what's in the bottom. It all for us. 
And that's a glorious reality for you and I. And I want to talk to you, especially if you're new to Christianity. The reality is we all have sin. And sin needs payment. And we couldn't pay it ever. I could never make up for the times where I went through life as maybe a disrespectful child or a lazy student or annoying brother or make up for the fact that that sometimes my mind is filled with things that are not God-pleasing. But there is someone who could pay my punishment in full, down to the dregs. There is someone who could pay your punishment in full, down to the dregs, and this is Jesus. And that is what is he accomplishing when he drinks of that sponge, when he drinks that cup. In fact, the book of Romans would speak about what's happening. Paul would talk about what's actually happening here. He would say he did this to demonstrate his righteousness, why he's on the cross, why he's our sacrifice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the, committed, the sins committed before and unpunished. But he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So in paying it, he's just. He is now making full payment for all your sins. But for all who cling to him, we have justification. We are not guilty. What this means is that he drank the cup to satisfy your spiritual thirst and mine. You know, this whole account reminds me of Jesus' interaction with a Samaritan woman at a well. Now, Jesus would often go through Samaria, even though Jews didn't associate with Samaria. That's because he loved everyone and loved everyone completely. And he uh, has this conversation picking out the point that she is thirsty. What he does is he enters in and he says, I know you've had five husbands. And I know that the person you're with now is not your husband. And he's not trying to be brutally, you know, honest. What he's trying to do is say, you're thirsty. You're looking for love in all the wrong places. But then as he pointed out her thirst, he also said in that conversation, he said, whoever drinks the water, though I give them, they'll never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And he was there offering forgiveness. He was there presenting himself as the Messiah. He was there presenting an answer for her her longingness for love. And I don't know about you, but I'm similarly thirsty. Do you know what I'm saying? I want to be known completely and loved entirely. Does anyone else relate on that level? I want somebody to know my warts and everything that I have done and yet still say, I'm in it for you. And maybe you're thirsty. In fact, to identify if you're thirsty, it's, it's if you've ever had these moments where you feel unfulfilled. If you've ever wondered about life, is there more than this? If you've ever entered into an experience or a relationship and still at the end had a bit of emptiness. Jesus came to quench that thirst. To speak right into there. To the place where other people failed you and experience failed you and say, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. This is what Jesus does. Forgiving our sins, giving us new life in his name, giving us a new identity as children of God, all to satisfy our thirst. You know, I was thinking of the awful things that could be drunk, and I was thinking that there is nothing more nasty than apple cider vinegar. Has anyone ever had some apple cider vinegar? You don't want to try it, friends. They say that there are health implications for apple cider vinegar. I will never know. <laughs> but my wife drinks it. And, and I guess it's helping. But, but I don't know. Th- th- where I'm going with this? 
Jesus here is drinking something worse than apple cider vinegar, and in a result, he's making us healthy. Jesus is drinking the, the bitterest drink you can imagine, far worse, and yet the result is that you are well. This is what I am thirsty means for us. This is the greatness of God. But now as we continue to, to understand what he's doing here, I needed to show you a cat video. Because <laughs> life is better with cat videos. And I saw an awesome cat video this last week on Facebook, and your life will be made better at the end of it. So here we go. I'm not sure how long that goes on, but <laughs> it's pretty great. Which teaches, again, you can train anyone to do anything if you just give them a good food at the end, right? Um, so, so it works with dogs, give them peanut butter. It works with kids, you know, do your chores, we'll go to Culver's, right? Uh, but, but I have a point as we were looking at, at, at the cats with the bell. And I, and I wanted to know, which one are you? Are, are you the cat ringing the bell in life? Or are you the one answering the bell? Are you, again, the one who is just saying, ding, 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 I'm here, give, 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 give? Or are you the one who is giving and answering and responding? And something that I've noticed about my own life, folks, is that I am a needy person at times. Right? Can you relate to neediness? It's like, I texted you, I texted you, it's been longer than a minute, what's going on? Come on! Right? Or maybe it's in a relationship, I asked you to do that! Come on, where is it? Are we going to do it? Kids, I asked you to do the chores. Come on. Right, right. Go to work. Coworker, come on, get on my page. Let's go. Let's go. Right, ding. Here we are. And I understand we all have needs, right? But let's be real with the root of neediness. At the root of neediness is actually something we call selfishness. And selfishness is this idea that instead of me responding to your bell, you better respond to mine. That my needs are a little bit more important than yours. That the way I am associated with things is a little bit more important than yours. That you better come to my level before I ever get to yours. And as we've had fun with cat videos, the understanding and the actual implication is that selfishness is sin. And sin is something that keeps us from loving other people and is something that gets in the way of relationship with God. In fact, it was selfishness that drove the devil down from heaven. In his selfishness, he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be on the same level. And that's why he was cast down. It's the own selfishness of our own heart that leads us to sin. Do you know that? Because we are saying to God, no, I know what you say, but my way is just a little bit more important. I know what you would like, but no, you've got to understand, it's about my bell, God. And of these things, I encourage us to repent and to see neediness for what it is. And I need you to look at the cross once again. Because as Jesus is dying on the cross, he is the neediest person in the world. Everyone is gone. 
He has no emotional support, and his physical pain is tremendous. It cannot be understood. And yet the neediest person on that day responded to the needs of others. The neediest person uh, turned to a thief and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. The neediest person turned to his mom and said, You'll have a home with John, a spiritual home. And the neediest person on that day responded to your need and to my need so that we could know this glorious forgiveness. In fact, the picture of him responding to our needs is actually through the hyssop plant. Um, our, our, our lesson says, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant. And, and for us, you're like, where are you going with this, Pastor? I don't know the implications of hyssop. This is what hyssop looks like. And even though you don't know the significance of hyssop, every Jewish reader would know the significance of hyssop. Because in the Passover, what they used was hyssop branches, and they dipped it in the lamb's blood. And, and during the time of Moses, they would then paint their door frames. And with that hyssop branch, that door frame was painted, and the angel of wrath, which was the angel of God that night, passed over their houses. What we see here is a greater Passover by a greater lamb here. Jesus is this greater lamb who is shedding his blood, and through hyssop is now saying to all of us, God's wrath is passing over you today. God's wrath has passed over you once and for all. Yes, he was angry about sin, but that anger is quelled at the cross. And you are forgiven and redeemed. And we don't have to, again, worry about the wrath of God. Because we are remade, we are redefined, we are repurposed, we are rejuvenated. All because the neediest one responded to our needs. But I think it should do something in us. More than just our salvation, I think it should spur on our sanctification, if I can say it that way. So I think there should be this change where where instead of keeping on ringing the bell for everyone and everything, we start responding to the bell. And in fact, I think looking at Jesus, it should move us from being needy to needed. When's the last time you thought of how can I respond to the bell of someone else? How can I stop just ringing the bell constantly and respond to the bell? I had an interaction um, this last week that was phenomenal. It was over a year ago that someone came by church in need of food. And um, I, I operate by the principle, I can't do everything, but I can do something. And, and so uh, I just went to Subway, and we had a sandwich, and we had a conversation. I learned, um, because he came back, that that was a tipping point in his life. That things cleaned up, and they got better dramatically. And the reason he showed up last week was to say, because you responded to my need at a Subway sandwich, I'm here to respond to yours. Is there something I can do for you? Now, it's interesting, because I never gave a Subway sandwich in order to get that, right? But he had realized what we're talking about. See, we all come with needs. And, and maybe, maybe today you're on the level where you just need to get something. And maybe you have your hand held out, if I can visualize, and we've all been here. We've all needed things from God, and so you're here saying, God, please, please give something to me. I have my get hand. Like, like I need peace. I need forgiveness. And the wonderful thing is he responds. He gives you a righteousness not your own. He gives you a name not your own as a child of God. He gives you a future not your own through Jesus. He knows how to give, right? He does it beautifully. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. He wants more from you than he ever wants for you. That is the truth of the gospel. But I do believe, I do believe that the progression of faith, not for our salvation, but for our sanctification, is to take our other hand 
and to say, with this hand I am giving. See, see, I had my needs met, and for a while they've been met dramatically, but the progression of faith is now I'm going to take this other hand, and I'm going to give something. I'm, I'm going to work. I'm going to serve. I'm going I'm I'm to respond to what I have received. And it was these two hands, not just two get hands, that, that I think please God. I think it's these two hands the reason that he purposed us and why we're still on earth, very honestly. In fact, the, the, the conversation came out with his disciples. His disciples always were wondering what they were going to get. And one of the disciples like, you know, because I followed you, Jesus, like, I'm going to, like, have a position of authority by your right hand, right? You know me. You know, and sometimes, like, a pastor, you're like, God, you knew I was a pastor, right? You know, like, come on, right? Well, Jesus, he, like, changed the whole discussion. And, and this is what he said. He said, whoever wants to be first must actually be the slave of all. Now, what hand is slave of all? I'm pretty sure it's the give hand. I'm pretty sure it's the one who's saying, I'm going to do whatever I can. And for the Son of Man, look what he did. He didn't come to be served or to get anything. Rather, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In fact, the glorious nature of, of Jesus is he had like two give hands. That's all he was about. In his sufficiency, in his Godhead, in his goodness for you and us. So what should we do? Friends, you got two hands. Let's think about how we might give. And the reality is a church is a great place to have this conversation because there's always things we can do together. There always are. And um, I, I, was, I was interested by a conversation. You know, sometimes people wonder, you know, a church, what, what's really the, the best part of church? Where's the power of the church? Now, now, first of all, the power of the church is God through his word. But, but then what does he use? He uses people. And sometimes people wonder, what's more important, a pastor or the congregation? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever thought that? What's more important, a pastor or the congregation? Maybe that's just what I think because it's my world. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, pastor or congregation? I was thinking about this. And, and really it's a false dichotomy because they both have to work together. But, but what I want to understand is that a pastor has limited capacity, right? That there's only one set of hands. There's only one voice. There's only uh, one opportunity of influence. But a congregation has a myriad of hands, a myriad of voices, a myriad of opportunities that God has placed down in front of you. So for me, for what it's worth, I'm relying on the congregation even more than doing my part. Because we will do more when we all say, I got I to gotta give hand, than if I just say, I got to give hand. We will accomplish way much more together as, as we're turned on to this fact that, that it isn't just about getting, even though he delights in giving, but it's in how we serve in response. So for some of you, I just want to encourage you. You've been serving for a while. Keep it up. Keep it up. I see it. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is missed. In fact, God sees it all. For others of you, if you're not in a service position, uh, there are opportunities. And maybe if, if you think of like ways to serve more, there are opportunities to do that because we have great, great opportunities before us to serve as Christ served us. So may God bless us. May we see a God who came down to the pit and then let's do that for others. Say, saying, what do you need that you might know Jesus? Do you need an invitation to Easter? I'll give it. Do you need a cup of coffee? We'll make it. Do you need some child care? We'll have it. Do you need a, a message that applies to your life? We'll try. 
Do you need Jesus? I'm here. What can I do? When we all do this, my friends, we're acting like our empathizing Savior. And he can use us to connect many more to him. May God bless us. Amen. Please stand.